Praise be Jesus Christ. Today's gospel says that uh, for the day, and it says that uh, these who do, those who do not do these things shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. My brethren and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ. Today is the Feast of the Council, and of course, the other gospel is a lexio continuo from Matthew. And uh, both of them are significant, they sort of fell together, which they usually do. Because these two gospels stress for us our obligation to not only know the Word of God, but to do the work of God. And this Gospel Matthew especially stresses uh, how we treat our neighbor and the good weeks where she, we should be doing. And of course, both Gospels stress the prayer of Jesus, which should be the example for our prayer. A lot of people, I'm just saying a lot, I don't know how many, consider themselves good Christians. And uh, when I was in England, I learned that a good Christian, they were talking about a man now, was a gentleman. And of course, uh, when you commissioned an officer in the United States services, you create a gentleman. So, uh, in my formation when I was a young man, I was sent to a military academy, and there was much stress there on being a gentleman. And uh, it was the tradition of my mother's family. So she and her sister had gone to the Villa Madonna Academy in Kentucky for the formation of young ladies. Because what I came along was I was sent to this military academy for the formation of a gentleman and, of course, a military person. And uh, they also played the learned to play the violin there very well, which was interesting. As the nuns were teaching there, they took a lot of time with these children in their formation. And our formation is not given to us out of catechisms. It was given to us out of prayer books. So every day we had liturgy in the morning, and in the evening, it was a Roman right place, we had benediction of Blessed Sacrament. So it was sort of a monastic military academy, I should say, something like that. So why am I telling you all these things? Because people read the gospel and they know what Jesus teaches 
but they don't live it. The gentleman is one who lives the gospel. And usually they're sort of independently wealthy also, especially in England, as they're part of the gentry. If you're a gentleman, you're part of the gentry. Uh, we should all be part of the gentry of Jesus Christ. Whether we're born into that tradition or not, because we should know the gospel so well that it infects, I want to say, our every action. It infects us with the love of God and consideration for our neighbor. I want to say consideration. Uh, and when people meet us, they should realize that uh, we're different. We've been raised in a different way. We're Christians. Especially, we have the Eastern Church. We're a very different type of Christian. A Christian from the early church. So this past summer I've been studying this the first year for centuries of Christianity. I told you before, when Constantine the Great is considered a saint in our church, and his mother Helena had their feast this week. Uh, in 313, he made and uh, stopped the persecution of the Christians, and shortly thereafter, he made Christianity the religion of the empire. And so, in the Mediterranean world, it was remarkable how quickly Christianity spread, very quickly. Within 200 years or so, all around the Mediterranean, into Italy and every place, Spain, Christianity spread. That was quick. But we know who does that is the Holy Spirit. That means a lot of people had to change their way of life. So now, uh, my son's here visiting, and some other young people. We had a lot of young men in the, in the rectory, uh, in the monastery this year visiting. And they're all very concerned about uh, the moral climate of the United States of America. I, when I was a young guy coming up, I had no doubt that America was a Christian country. But after the actions of our Congress, uh, voting in abortion on demand, and the action of the administration, not just this administration, but others, where thousands of people are being killed, especially in the Ukraine. Uh, I wonder. And in the Near East, America also spied uh, Syria and Lebanon and all these places where Jesus actually walked and taught the gospel. These people are Christians. So then I think now maybe 
maybe they're trying to get rid of the Christians, this social atheism and socialism, which is not part of the Christian understanding, are being pushed. It seems like people that do not agree with it are being sidelined or maybe murdered. I want to tell you a little something about the military. I'm a military person, it's my family tradition. And uh, so when I was ordained, I went to Cardinal Cook and asked for permission to become military chaplain to fulfill my obligation to my country. Because so many people thought, well, priests and people like that, they can't, uh, they have an agreement with the churches, they cannot be drafted. But the churches agreed to supply so many chaplains for the military. And I was one of those chaplains. Um, I think the men needed chaplains. I went up one afternoon to, I lived in, I lived in Yonkers, New York, it was about an hour and a half drive to West Point. I went over there one afternoon and met some of the priests at their station there from the Archdiocese in New York. And I looked over West Point and saw all these young men there. And I thought to myself, certainly these people of all, above all, need to be good Christians and to know what they're doing when they go to war. One of the precepts of war is that when you're going on a mission, they never tell you where you're going or what you're going to do. That's always a secret. So you just have to put faith in your government and the administration that you're doing something to benefit the United States. The military now is talking to Father Kaz, and he says that uh, he, uh, he was my boss one time. Eventually I outranked him, and uh, we're still very good friends. He's not doing too well. He's retired, and he misses living with people. He doesn't have a community around him. And he has, he's got a house, he bought a house, and so I told him, well, join one of these, like, you know, these breakfast clubs and things like that, people have. I said, go to the club, meet some people, go to the veterans of foreign wars, go to places where you know military people are, and introduce yourself, and you'll have a better life. So he thought that was a pretty good suggestion. I don't know if he did it or not. But usually, not always, priests and people like that are people people. And they're going out to preach the gospel. Now the problem is this. Let's just not talk about the conscience of the priest, but of every Christian what happens if your conscience is in conflict with your assignment? Your con or anything in life, your job, whatever it is, or your when you're a doctor, 
What if what they want you to do is contrary to your conscience? Now, a Catholic must form his conscience and follow it. That's what this gospel is about. Formation of conscience. And Catholics, like if you raise Catholic, they start that early. And they say Catholics make the best soldiers. And I remember when Vietnam was closing down, Catholics would pick up children and bring them on plane to America. <laughs> they smuggled them in because they were orphans or whatever. And of course, when they got there, the government had a big problem, but uh, the government had to figure out what they could do about that. And we had in our parish a doctor, very fine man. And he was new to the Byzantine church, but he came to love it. And he was in a lot of trouble. He was thrown in um, South America doing a mission work by taking care of the sick up on the plateau, you know. And he was coming back to America, and somebody had thrown a baby into the garbage. So he picked up the baby and put it under his jacket and got on the plane and brought it home. We're well, not supposed to do that. Why not? Why shouldn't we take care of the helpless, the lame, the weak, the aged? Because we have a notion that uh, people who cannot make a viable contribution to society should be done away with. Maybe they're suffering. And what they've done until they grow, grow old, they've made a great uh, contribution. So I was in the military. I got all sorts of decorations. I'll share my uniform sometime for what I did. And I had no problem with that. And nobody ever asked me to do anything against my conscience because I wouldn't do that. But you young people are being asked to violate your conscience by our politicians. Do not consider taking into consideration your conscience and your faith and the teachings of Christ and the church. I know you don't get to mountains too long, but uh, a few of you occasionally, except that some come to stay at the monastery. And it's just full of martyrs. It's just uh, almost everyday martyrs, people who died for because they were Christians. And I think one of the problems in America is we, we decided to have a convenient Christianity that we can live with. Not necessarily the one that Jesus taught us. If you're not, if you're too comfortable in your lifestyle, you may be not living a Christian life. People have to compromise in the business world 
most of the compromises they make is just grand theft. If you're benefiting the big guys, they don't do anything about it, but if you do it wrong, you're going to go to jail. And when I was uh, in New York, I'd visit the jails, and there was the military, you know, in Alabama. It's terrible. The jails in Alabama are terrible. It's part of our training. I never met anybody that was guilty. Y'all told me they were misunderstood. And that's the usual thing you get when you're hearing confessions or something like that. The people that go to confession, they're good people, but they feel they were misunderstood, or you misunderstand them. And they want to give you these tales in the confession, tale of woe that they got them in the situation they're in. I tell them, I know, I could just tell me the word, I know what you did. I says, I can pretty well understand why. Usually it's because of selfishness, greed, or the worst thing, disconsideration of your neighbor. So, in the early church, they died by the thousands. Their church was sort of similar to our church, very Eastern and Byzantine. And uh, you can read about that yourself. But when the people around them saw the Christians died for their faith, what did they do? They became Christians. They followed the martyrs to the fire, to drowning, to being sliced into, to having their limbs cut off, all sorts of horrible things. It moved their hearts and their souls. We should have such a considerate heart that we see suffering, especially unjust suffering, we sympathize with that. And we should fight our government that this does not go on. I especially don't like the president who got up and said he was going to dispense the senior and the students who had debts, you know, for college and things like that. And I don't know why you have to go into slavery to go through college. Why you have to get this big debt that you can't get out from under. I thought that was a good idea. The Supreme Court said it was not constitutional. Why? Because it was other people's money they loaned them and they deserved their money and their interest. Not very Christian, you know? Not very like what Jesus would do. What did Jesus do for you? He preached his words. He taught us about love and the prayer of the heart. He taught us to be moral and keep the Ten Commandments and the morality of the Old Testament. And the morality of the Old Testament was not very moral, you know that. A lot of trouble was to be preserved. He came to fulfill the law and not to destroy it. He said, well, I'm a Christian now. I don't have to do that. Sure, you have to do that. 
Jesus came, ultimately, the most greatest gift the Father has given to the world will die on the cross. He was not appreciated. He was too good for the world. He didn't fit with the politicians. I lately have talked to you about Christ on the cross. I try to understand that. And, you know, Catholics, they talk about the way of the cross and all these things, and they have these devotions. That never really satisfied me. So I've been lately meditating, and I came up with a but from Revelations and from Apocalypse, and now I'm reading the Apocrypha from the New Testament period. Some of it's very good. And the books, the editors that put them together did a pretty good job. They quote scripture, they explain it, and they tell you what the, they're cooking. Now, some of the things were a little different. And maybe a little bit challenging. But we should be challenged as Christians. These people, especially in these devotional books, had a tremendous devotion to Christ's passion, death, and resurrection. They believed in it. He was alive in their hearts, confirming them in grace. In the prayer book, our Byzantine prayer book, the big one, there's a prayer. It says this, God the Father, thank you for creating me. God the Son, thank you for redeeming me. God the Holy Spirit, thank you for dwelling in my inmost being your energies and perfecting my heart. The perfection of the heart is love. Where do we see the perfection of the heart in Christ's life? On the cross. So in uh, Apocalypse, they had visions they given there. Um, John was having some visions. John's terrific. But you have to know how to really read it. It's terrific. And uh, the Gospel, John. So here's Jesus crucified. What's he doing on the cross? His human body is there, and it's undergoing great pain. But it says... When your body was on the cross and your soul was in hell, Hades, at the same time, you are at the right hand of the Father on the throne in heaven. What did he go to the throne in heaven for, which he had never really left, was to present our cause. And what did he take to heaven? Not, as Paul says, the blood of rams and goats and things like that, but his own blood, the precious blood. 
and he presented it to the Father. Who did he do that for? For us. The same blood and body received in the Eucharist. So some people say, well, this is this type of prayer and that type of prayer. But every Christian who is baptized and chrismated is put in office to pray. He's infused, infused in him our faith, hope, and charity. And they should be operative. So in this gospel, Jesus Christ is answering us. He says, I've given you these gifts through my death on the cross and my prayer before the Father. I want you to lead, read, uh, live those gifts of faith, hope, and charity in your heart. And when a person sees you or knows you, they're going to meet Christ. How glorious is the love of our Father who sends his Son, whose passion, death, and resurrection glorifies you and me, a priestly people, to glorify him by our prayer and good works. One is not good without the other. But above all, take care to form a good conscience. So when the Father sees you and the Son judge you, he's going to say these words. Come to me, the blessed of my Father. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.